Good morning Cornerstone and good morning to all those who are visiting with us online today uh, you know, on this online service. My name is Phil Haig, I'm a member of um, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church here in Hobart and our desire today is that you share with us and um, are blessed through the word, uh, through its preaching, um, through our prayers and offerings and worship and uh, as we come before God's word together uh, I'm going to pray once again. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful and we praise you, Lord God, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace upon us. Surely your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness, Lord God Almighty. And Lord, as we come before you and as we sit this morning under the sound of your word, we pray that your spirit might take up that word and apply it to our hearts, that he might speak your word into us. We pray, Lord God, you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit says to the churches. We pray, Lord God, that you'll... Help us to hear your voice uh, from your word. And uh, we pray, Lord God, that you will draw us uh, closer to yourself uh, through these means. In Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Our text this morning is taken from the Old Testament, uh, the book of Proverbs. Um, Solomon wrote uh, a number of books, in particular Proverbs and Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, means, the word means, the preacher. Ecclesiastes is a great message and Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's all about um, proverbial statements that um, speak of um, God's wisdom. And the passage I've chosen today is Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. And I want to draw your attention to the first two words. My son, forget not my law, but let your heart, sorry, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace, they shall add to you. May God bless his word to your hearts this morning. We know first of all that in the book of Proverbs, this term, my son, is recorded over 24 times. And it's quite a, quite a uh, prominent uh, particular point in this, that Solomon um, had many wives. He had um, some 300 wives and 700 concubines. And uh, from uh, those relationships, no doubt he had a, a multitude of children and sons. And so Solomon, very cleverly with his gift of wisdom, writes in a way in which every son in particular will have the impression that he, their father, is speaking directly to them. And it's God's will this morning, as you sit under the sound of this word, that you also hear his voice that you uh, hear him speaking directly to you. This word is for all saints, throughout all generations. And yet this word is for you. It's a very personal uh, and pertinent plea. My father um, uh, turned 86 about two months ago, and uh, we worked together in business for about 40 years. Um, my dad and mother now have 11 and a half great-grandchildren uh, to speak of. And uh, I have four and a half great-grandchildren, really great-grandchildren, not great-grandchildren, uh, to speak of. And, of course, they are a wonderful blessing. And uh, so I worked with my father for over 40 years in his family-owned business. It was founded in Sydney. And one day my dad and I were travelling travel back from a job in the inner city and we're heading back out. Uh, to where we lived and we're heading away from the city on Parramatta Road. Parramatta Road 
is known as the Barracus Vein of Sydney because of its congestion and the, the traffic levels there. And uh, so we're in the, in the car, we're driving along the road and in the distance uh, there was a showroom um, for Ferraris. And I said, Dad, do you think we could pull over and, and maybe go over and have a look at some of these magnificent cars? And he said, oh, yeah, of course, we'll do that. So we pulled over. And as we got out of the car and parked there and uh, got out, the traffic was, was very heavy as usual. And uh, we made our way across the first three lanes into the centre island. And across from us, uh, the three lanes that were in front of us, the far furthest two, the inside lane on the other side and the middle lane, were chock-a-block with bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And my focus, my eyes, were on the showroom window. And I could see a, a, a glitter of, of red and dancing horses uh, shining through the glass. And I took a step. And as I took this step forward uh, onto the road to cross over, a great big hand grabbed me from behind, reached onto my shoulder with the word stop and pulled me back. And with that, a car, which I hadn't seen, came rushing past at some 80 kilometres an hour. I would have stepped uh, certainly into certain uh, death on that, that road that day. And uh, this passage uh, in Proverbs reminds me of that particular instance where the father's hand is upon the son. His, his beloved son, you and I in Christ. And he says these words, Forget not my law and let your heart keep my commandments for length of days, long life and peace they shall add to you. Certainly my father prevented my death on that day and uh, we've enjoyed a long life together since then. This morning um, I'm going to look at three points from this passage. First of all, his love expressed in this personal plea, my son. Then secondly, we're going to look at his instruction, forget not my law and let your heart keep my commandments and the significance of a heart-kept commandment, what that means practically. And then finally, his promise, length of days and long life and peace, um, they shall add to you. And I pray that God, again, bless these words to your heart. The first point, my son uh, demonstrates his love and, and God's love, if I can use these terms, is a verb. It's a working word. It's a, it's a word that is demonstrated and worked out. We read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, and I've just come, uh, or I'm in the middle of a series of sermons out of 1 John. The, the main theme of 1 John is assurance of faith, uh, knowing that you know him is the main theme. And there are six points, which are six signs of sonship throughout 1 John. And uh, we pick up this text in verse 3, which talks of the Father's work in our sonship, bringing us into Christ. And he, he says these words, Behold what manner of love, what type of love, what depth of love, what width of love, broad as the ocean, wide as the sea, is my Saviour's love for me. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called, surprise, surprise, the sons of God. We're called the sons of God. Do you feel like a son? A son of God? Often we don't. Nevertheless, whether we uh, feel it or don't feel it, 
Uh, the reality is true. If you are in Christ, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are his Son. My Son. What wonderful, endearing words from a loving Father. And I'd also those words in uh, Proverbs 3 and verse 9 where he talks of discipline. And he says, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. He chastens every son he receives. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. God, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ today, you are a son of God and the father delights in you. No matter how you feel today, it doesn't change your position. You're in Christ, spotless, blameless, son of God. Therefore, he says in 1 John 3, 2, Therefore the world does not know us, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It's almost John can't get over uh, this expression. Beloved, and this word uh, has the word agape in it. And agape, of course, is the sacrificial love of God. And this word beloved means divinely loved ones, those who are the recipients of God's divine love. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We don't become sons of God when we leave this earth and exodus to heaven at his coming or, or earlier if we die before his coming. No, we don't become sons of God then. We become sons of God with all of its privileged place and power with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, when we're converted, when we come to him and first put our trust in his son. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And if I could do nothing else today, I hope I can point you in his direction. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, speaking of the father's work in our sonship, he says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So as a Christian, you need nothing or nothing can be added to your position. Now we think sometimes as Christians we're adding to it by through experience and growth, but no, your position doesn't change. It begins with everything and continues forever in that position. You cannot remove anything from it. And you cannot add anything to it. God has placed you there. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Blameless, spotless, sons of God. And he says then, um, according, as the Father, according as he has chosen us in him, in Christ, before the catabolis, before the foundation or the throwing down of the world, literally. Before the creation of all things, God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him. And next verse starts with these words. And in, in the English versions, they're often the, the placement of these two words in love is on the end of the verse. But they actually begin the next verse and it reads literally like this. In, um, in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now this adoption as sons, literally the word means to be placed into the family of God. 
You've been adopted as a son. Christ is the only beloved son born of the Holy Spirit. We're adopted as sons into that wonderful family uh, of the Father by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So there we have the Father's work. In Romans 8 and verse 15, we have the Spirit's work. Ye have received the spirit of adoption, once again, same word, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or literally, Father, Father. So what he's saying here, what Paul is saying in Romans uh, chapter 8, is that the Holy Spirit uh, unites us to the Father at conversion. We receive his spirit when we believe in his Son, and we're sealed with that spirit forever. And when we receive that spirit, he cries out from within us, and we cry out in union with him, Father, Father. So we have a new relationship. We were once estranged. We once wandered far from the fold. All we, like sheep, had gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <sighs> Glory to God. That we are the children of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. So we have the Spirit's work, we have the Father's work, and then we have the Son's work in Hebrews 2 and verse 10. It says this, For it became him, the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, the church of the firstborn, those who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the church, and in their midst will I sing praise unto the Father, unto you. What a wonderful scene. And what a wonderful thought and what a wonderful reality and truth that Christ himself will stand in the midst of us, the billions of Christians there in glory, and he will sing with us as our brother. What a position. What a place. What a person is the Lord Jesus Christ to bring many sons unto glory. And then secondly, so we have his love, we have um, these wonderful words of endearment, this personal plea, my son, and, uh, sorry, no, I've actually missed a, a main point there. I'll need to explain this. And then we have an example in Luke uh, chapter 15 of um, someone receiving their sonship. And we have the parable of the younger son and the older son. We often call it the prodigal son. Uh, but that's not mentioned in the passage. He is the younger son. And it's pre the whole context of the passage is that the Pharisees, Pharisees and scribes, the religious um, men of the day, were uh, mocking Christ for his association with sinners, publicans and, and, uh, and um, ladies of the night and sinners who were, uh, by those religious leaders, rejected. And so he then, the Lord Jesus Christ, uses this parable of the prodigal son, the younger son, to show them that 
they are not his sons. And uh, he uses this particular um, expression. In verse 18, it says, Luke 15, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And you know the, the, the story. He, he asked his father for his inheritance. He gave it to him and then he went away into a foreign land, spent all his money, and he was left penniless. A famine um, arose in the land. He found himself um, uh, without food, without clothing, and uh, to speak of, and in great want, just as every person outside of Christ, before they come to him, um, are in that horrible, that, that awful position of emptiness and loneliness away from their God. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is, in fact, the first sign of sonship in 1 John chapter 1, where it says there, if any man says he has not sin, then he is not of the truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this acknowledgement is the first sign of sonship in this younger man, this younger son. I, and he says again, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and are no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now I am the younger son as it happens in my family and I can see myself here in the passage and perhaps there's a a generic application for everyone here uh, this morning. Uh, in our own way, we've all wandered from the fold. We've all got away from God. And, uh, and, but what happened? The son came to himself. And I do remember uh, many years ago, um, some months before I was converted, and I was sitting in a, a vehicle. Uh, it wasn't a Ferrari. But I was sitting in a vehicle in a car park on my own. I think it was Christmas morning. And I was taking all manner of substances, trying to fill the empty hole uh, that was in my life. And with everything I tried to pour in there, the hole just got bigger and nothing satisfied. And I sat there and I came to myself, just like the younger son. And I said to myself, self, what are you doing here? I'm alone. I'm empty. Surely there's more to life than this. And it was only then a couple of months and a whole series of wonderful events, really, um, that I rocked up to a Bible study. And some three months into that, um, I put my trust in Jesus Christ and became his son and uh, found that he was the one who satisfied. He was the one whom I needed. God has set eternity in our hearts. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can fill that void. And he does fill it indeed. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
The father put a robe on his son. It's a robe of righteousness that covers all the offence of our sin against the father. We've sinned against heaven. He puts a ring on his finger. And once again, Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is the aravon of God. He is the engagement ring. He's God's seal on every believer. And if you have not the Spirit, if you have not the Spirit, you are none of His. So every believer receives the Holy Spirit upon conversion, and has this wonderful ring, this seal of God upon Himself. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. God invites us into fellowship. And once again, 1 John at the beginning says, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. What a glorious uh, relationship. My Son. And then secondly, we have his instruction. My Son, forget not my law. Firstly, uh, please note, uh, attention to his word is certainly important. And then affection for his word is absolutely essential. So firstly, attention to his word uh, is important. Forget not my law. Note that personal uh, pronoun again, my law, my commands, my son. And in Psalm 119, David writes these wonderful words, and perhaps these is a, a really uh, a good verse to perhaps write on the youth group meeting place or, uh, or on your bed, in your bedroom wall. Uh, for young people here at Cornerstone and, and others who may be listening. Note these words of King David. And remember, David is Solomon's father. King, uh, David says in Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, but by taking heed thereto according to his word? The word sanctifies. The word uh, directs, instructs, rebukes, reproves, encourages, comforts. It's a wonderful word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? If you're looking for direction as a young person, the word of God gives you the answers. It's a book full of answers. Get your head in the book and read the words. By take, and take heed to, take heed to, forget not my law. See, it's not just a matter of remembrance, and we all have trouble remembering, but it's more a matter of neglect. It's more a matter of lack of attention to the very things that we do know. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua writes, Only you be strong and courageous that you might observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand, nor to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you might observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. If you want success in life, if you want to reach your, uh, uh, find your purpose and fulfil it, then you need to have your head in the book. You need to be thinking about meditating upon his word day and night, and observing to do all that he, that he has written. Secondly, firstly, there's an attention to his word is important attending to his word. Secondly, affection for his word is essential. Affection for his word is essential. But let your heart keep my commands. Let your heart keep my commands. The Ephesian church in Revelation 2 um, was commended for many, many things, their perseverance, their patience, 
their zeal for the word of God. And they were an ideal church, a very busy church, laboring and, and so on. And the Lord brings all these things to light. But then he says, this one undoing thing, the one thing left, the one thing neglected, the one thing they didn't pay attention to was their heart. They were busy in the work of the Lord, but they'd somehow forgotten the Lord. And he says, this one thing I have against you, you have left your first love. If you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. This is how essential, this is how important and primary loving God's word, loving his commandments, engaging the heart in our service, in our worship, in our prayers, in our reading, even the very sanctimonious things that we do as Christians, let alone the, the meat and the potatoes, our relationship in our workplace or the relationship in our marriage with our husband and wife or our relationship with our children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. See, that's his command. And we need to find a heart for his word and, and ask that God incline our heart. He says that in Psalm 119 and verse 36, David writing again. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Incline my heart. In other words, covet his testimonies. Don't covet the things of the world. Don't covet um, the Ferraris. All is not gold that glitters. Don't covet those things, but covet Christ. Covet the fellowship of the saints. Covet the word of God. Covet prayer. Covet meditation. Covet the preaching of God's word. Covet good men um, who love his word. Covet these things and not the world. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, David says again, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have you hidden his word in your heart? That you might not, that's the purpose, that you might not sin against heaven, sin against you. And then David says again, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now on meditation, someone asked me recently, um, how do you meditate? What's that, what's that process? And for every, for every Christian, it could be different. But for me, I like to, um, in a sense, read as little as possible. That's helpful. Um, some people like to read chapters of the Word and so on. Go for it. Great practice. I like to take a little bite. And so I might read only one verse in a morning devotion, and I might focus on one phrase. And I think about that throughout the day, and I rehearse that phrase to myself. And throughout the day, you might actually get the words wrong and know you've got it wrong. So the next day, I go back and I read that passage again, and I get that if I can get it right. And if I can't make it stick, I write it down, write it down, write it down a few times. Just keep on writing it out. Keep on rehearsing it to myself. And then I ask myself the question, how does this apply to me? What do I need to do with this? We need to apply ourselves to the word of God. That's part of the meditation. And then I need to take action and put it into practice. And the things that change our lives are things we remember most. It's a wonderful verse. I never remember the, the place of it. It says, I never remember where the, the verse is. So I can look it up and find it. I've done it a thousand times. But never, the address never sticks, but the words do. That's, that's good enough for me. And it says this, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts 
delight my soul in business, in life. You're bombarded with all sorts of pressures and distractions. And his comforts at these times delight my soul. Do they delight your soul? Pay attention to his word and, um, and find an affection for his precious word. And then thirdly, apply your heart um, to his work. Apply your heart to his work. Apply your heart to his word. Apply your heart to his work. In Proverbs 3, there, there aren't many practical um, applications there that are particularly noted, except one that's quite prominent in verse 9. And we'll just look at this for a moment and look at how the heart can be engaged in keeping a commandment of God. And here we have the command, honour the Lord with your substance and, the, and with the first fruits of your increase. Honour the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of your increase. How do we give to God who has absolutely everything? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I often pray, Lord, sell some. I need some money for whatever reason. And, uh, but we need to honour the Lord with our substance. What is that substance? Well, that substance is absolutely everything you have. Honour him with your marriage. Honour him with your children. Honour him with your bank account. Honour him with your church and your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Honour him with your neighbours. Honour him with your friends. Honour him with your service. Honour him in your prayers, honour him with all your substance. And so how do we honour him? And, and it's giving is the, the main command here. Honour him with your substance. Give him the first fruits of your increase. How do we, how do we give um, with the heart? And what does the word tell us? Well, this is just an example, remember. And in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Paul tells us exactly how we are to give from the heart. And he says this, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so there is purpose in giving, as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is how we give. See, this is the heart of giving. Not, and I know as soon as we mention giving, the question arises, well, how much do I give? Really? The question should be, how much do you keep, not how much do you give? Remember, the woman with two mites, she gave absolutely everything. And the Lord said, this is, will be a testament to her for the rest of uh, time and eternity. She gave everything into the coffers of God. The Pharisees and scribes, they tithed the mint and roe, the, the herbs of the garden. One tenth of the herbs went into the pot so to speak. And uh, yet this woman comes along and gives absolutely, though a very small amount, she let, left nothing. How much do you give? I'll let you answer that question. If you're wise, you'll know the answer. Every man according as he purposed in heart, so let him give not grudgingly, nor of necessity. Now we're uh, online uh, with our worship services now and online with our our giving, if you like, and um, I'm not against direct transfers and giving and so on, but you really have to think it through when you press the button to transfer money to the church account, effectively giving it to God. You have to get in that frame of mind. You're not just supporting a work. 
you're not supporting a business, uh, Cornerstone Incorporated. You're, you're, so you are honouring Christ with your substance. You are worshipping him through your giving. And he said, how you give is, if you like, as important, if not more important, than what you give or how much you give. And he says, you're not to give grudgingly. In other words, do I have to? And this is teenage speak now. Do I have to? He said, it's a grudgingness or a grudgingness. There's a grudging, there's a grudge about giving. God says, don't give to me if you're not going to give it with a cheerful heart, nor of necessity. Do I have to do this? No. God wants you to do it, but he wants you to do it with a cheerful heart. The word there, haleron, is where we get the word hilarious from. And I often think, when we give and we press that transfer button or put the money in the plate or however, however you go about giving your substance to God, we ought to have a smile on our face, at the very least. If you're happy, tell your face about it. Be cheerful in your giving. So there is the, the heart, if you like, of that commandment. There is a duty, there is an obligation, but there is also the heart of it. My son, incline your heart unto my commandments, or let your heart keep my commands. And so we have, uh, we have uh, his love, and then we have his, we have his love, my son. We have his instruction, forget not my law, and let your heart keep my commandments. And then we finally have uh, the, the wonderful uh, promise of God. For length of days and long life and peace, they shall add to you. Length of days, long life and peace, they shall add to you. Now, you have, if you have length of days and long life and don't have the peace, the former is a curse. To live long without Christ in emptiness, in darkness, in vanity and pride, is a curse in itself. And this promise, though this life might be short for many Christians, a good friend of mine lost his son, his dear son Samuel, at the age of 17. He died of a rare um, genetic disease. The chromosome in his, uh, in his genes that stopped tumor, tumors growing wasn't there, and from a young age, it, began very it became very apparent that he had something drastically wrong with him. And his eye first at the age of about two began to turn slightly. Um, and by the age of 10 or 11, he was in a wheelchair. And the age of 17, uh, just prior to his death, I went into Parramatta Hospital to visit him with his father. And uh, he was having a tumour removed from the back of his uh, uh, neck near the base of his brain. And the doctors had already determined that they would only take out tumours that were life-threatening at this point. And his father pulled back his... Uh, he said, Phil, look at this. And he pulled back his sheet. Samuel complied. And his back was covered in tumours. There wasn't an inch, a millimetre, that didn't have a tumour. Samuel was a Christian. The thing about him uh, that touched me most was he never complained. Never, ever complained. And yet we get about our business and we complain about everything. Never a complaint, full of heaven, looking forward to a day he'd be with his Saviour in the age of 17. The Lord took him home. Peace. Long life, long days and peace. And thanks to his, uh, his Christian parents, Samuel lived a great life those 17 years. 
um, in a wonderful, loving Christian family. And the Lord uh, took him home. I'm looking forward to seeing him um, when we get there. So no doubt many of you are looking forward to those dear departed saints who are now with Christ. No safer than we are, but certainly a little bit happier. So length of days, long life and peace they shall add to you. Do you have the peace of God? Uh, which is above all understanding in Philippians 4. Uh, be anxious, be careful or full of care for not one thing, but by prayer and supplication make your requests known to God and he shall, uh, and the peace of God shall fortify, shall garrison, shall protect you, uh, protect your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you have that peace of God this morning? Come ye who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, uh, says the Lord. Do you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you his son? Do you have that testimony in your heart that you are now a son of God? If not, fall to your knees. Fall to your knees and cry out with the prodigal, the younger son. Lord, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. And a father will embrace you, put a robe of righteousness over you, put a ring on your finger and kill the fatted calf and celebrate. And they were merry. I pray that God might make you merry today. Merry men uh, of Cornerstone and uh, bless his word to your hearts. Thank you.